we're back. That's right. This is episode two of Back in the Days, a podcast where I unpack all of my nostalgic memories. I try to go into my memory bank. It's, it's kind of a form of self-therapy. Um, I'm your host, Dante Bailey. That's right. I'm talking real smooth and sexy for the ladies. Real smooth and sexy. Nah, I'm fucking with you. I'm, I'm a big goofball and shit, but... um. In all seriousness, man, I I think it's really important to go back and try to unpack some of how we got to where we're at right now. And, um, you know, my thing is, is there's a lot of idle things that exist in our mind sitting right there in the back that we don't ever touch on, but it impacts everything that we do from the day to day. So I just noticed a lot of that through all the transitions I've been going through recently. I recently experienced a breakup from a relationship of six years and, you know, I'm out here in Los Angeles by myself and struggle with confidence, you know, imposter syndrome and all types of things that a lot of people in our generation deal with. And this is kind of my attempt to do something different, step out there and just think about what life was like before all of the, the, the complications and shit, you know what I'm saying? Before we had to experience adulting and you know feelings and liking girls and paying bills and all types of shit you know so you know I'm, I'm doing this maybe about once every other day starting out and just to get it off and get it to a good space and then I'll probably start slowing down doing maybe once a week but we're gonna get into it this episode right here is entitled grandma's hands Enjoy. We grew up Washington, D.C., PG County, Maryland, Chocolate City. You know, a great sense of pride for a sense of self. And, um, you know, my ancestry is, is, is real deep. We run deep thorough blood you know spirituality my grandfather was a deacon at a church my grandmother was a minister on one side and my other side you know um, they weren't as spiritual you know but they was funny as hell they was cool as a motherfucker <laughs> so I, I get my spiritual side of how I am and who I am from the islands that's that's my mother's side of the family and then I think my my vibrancy and my liveness I get from my father's side that's the Baileys you know when I think of the Bailey boys I think of some reckless wild you know <laughs> I got an uncle Mike who always be like what's up player what's good with you shawty and it's funny cause um, I don't know he just epi- ep- epitomizes like one of them OGs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, but my grandparents, you know, all my grandparents, I had the best memories with them growing up in different capacities. And uh, I learned a lot of lessons just from all different parts of my family. Things that really shape and mold who I am, things that keep me close to God, things that make me a moral man. and. I think that's one of the things that people really love about me in particular, you know what I'm saying? Just one of the things that makes me stand out. And um, 
I don't know. Growing up, I've always had this real magnetic kind of relationship to people. Like I could meet somebody and like in the first five minutes, they'll be telling me some wild shit. Like, yeah, you know, I was molested as a child. And I'd be like, yo, what? Why, why would you? You don't even know me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you really don't even know me. Or, um, you know, people just confide in me. Tell me all types of things about how they live in their life. They done done. Just wanting to be better. All types of things. And I don't know. I guess it's. it's I always try to stay humble about it. Because I don't think it's something to brag about. Or put anybody's business out there. But I, I feel like they can sense. That, that closeness. That spiritual closeness that I have in me. And it, it stems from my family. You know. That's that's where the spiritual side comes from. And then uh, morality isn't always a spiritual thing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's just about being a solid nigga. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that I feel like I get from the Bailey side. You know what I'm saying? Like my father, my grandfather, my grandmother. It was tough. You know, my Uncle Mike, my Aunt Debbie and my, my Aunt Michelle. When I think of their side of the family, that's and, and that's not to take one away from the other because there's duality. Obviously, there's some sense of spirituality on my father's side of the family and there's some sense of toughness on my mother's side of the family, but they stem in different kind of places, you know? I specifically remember my grandmother on my father's side was a pistol and she was the toughest person. She looked like a white woman, you know? She, she was able to pass growing up and she used to get in trouble for playing on the white playgrounds. Um, you know, it was interesting because growing up, I remember going to school and my grandmother would come and pick me up, me and my brother, sometimes. And actually, a lot of the times we used to go and we would stay at her house after school. That was one of the most exciting things, man. You know, I don't know how many other people can relate to this, but, you know, you, you, you really need like a support system. Growing up a lot of times, parents don't be having it like that financially. They got to work and they, they just literally don't have the time to be able to drop you off at school and get to work on time and all that type of shit. So we used to have to wake up really early in the morning and we would make our lunches and, uh, you know, a little peanut butter jelly sandwich <laughs> or a turkey sandwich. That's all we ever ate. One of the two. Get some chips. Uh for some reason, it was never anything good like Doritos. It was like sour cream and onion chips or fucking, <laughs> I don't know, whatever my father liked. <laughs> Those were the chips we had in the house. We get one huggy. I don't know if y'all remember these little 50 cent hugs. They looked like a little barrel. They used to come in about four flavors. It was orange, red, purple, blue, and green. So five flavors, you know what I'm saying? And you would get a piece of fruit, an apple or orange, choose one, and a brown paper bag. And that was our lunch every single day. So we would wake up in the morning. Obviously, you may be tired as hell. Your parents forced you to go take a shower or a bath or whatever. My oldest brother is 11 years older than me. My middle brother's three years older than me. And my middle brother was small as hell growing up. So everybody kind of used to think we was twins, <laughs> even though I was three years younger. I know that shit used to piss them off. And um, my 
oldest brother being 11 years older than me, it was almost kind of like having a, a second father, a cooler, younger version of a father, because he definitely wasn't young enough to like relate to anything I was experiencing in my life. But he was old enough that I could look at him like a friend, but also look at him like a, a someone who could provide some guidance, you know, but I, I didn't expect him to I didn't expect to relate to him like a friend like my age or anything like that, you know, not not by far. So he would get me ready in the morning. Since I remember when I was really little, he used to have to give me a bath and all this other type of shit. And I'm sure he didn't want to do any of that, but he loved me, looked out for me and stuff like that, you know. And we would all get in the car. We we would get dropped off at my grandmother's house before school and we would walk to school from my grandmother's house and I mean, boy, talk about an adventure. <laughs> it was always some fun shit, you know? Uh, we would eat donuts for breakfast consistently. It was white powder donuts and cinnamon donuts. For some reason, my brother didn't like the cinnamon ones. He always only wanted the white powder ones. So I was like, fuck it, I like cinnamon. You're not about to yuck my yum. I'm going to get something and like it, you know? And I remember before school, I would sit and I would watch uh, The Little Mermaid on <laughs> Disney Channel. I don't know why. It was like The Little Mermaid would be on and just going off right when we arrived at the house, probably like seven or something like that, depending on how early we got there. But yeah, The Little Mermaid would be on. And then usually that was going off and I, I didn't fuck with that show. No way. And then Pepper Ann would be coming on. Ooh, that was my shit. I love Pepper Ann. And I would sit there and I would watch Pepper Ann. <laughs> hey, man, the theme song is my shit. Pepper Ann, Pepper Ann, she's the coolest seventh grade. Pepper Ann, yeah, Pepper Ann, Pepper Ann, no one's cooler than Pepper Ann. I don't know. I had to sing it because I don't know if y'all remember that jump. But sometimes, you know, you hear a little melody and bring back that nostalgia. That's what this podcast is about. Exploring the nostalgia, you know, stepping into some of those moments that we done forgot about. Even just singing that shit just now just took me back, man. I, I can remember my grandmother's front room. It had glass doors. It was it was a den, actually. Now I'm old enough to know what a den was, but <laughs> I, I loved it. She lived on 42nd Street in Highsville, Maryland. And it was so cool because going to my grandmother's house, even though it was right up the damn street from us, it just felt like a vacation every time. Every morning before school, my grandmother had Pop-Tarts in the uh, pantry for us. And uh, usually there was plain Pop-Tarts. They didn't have any frosting or nothing like that, but I liked them all the same. Um she was she was a diabetic, so a lot of her shit was sugar free, but she would always have like the normal versions for me to kind of sneak in on. Like I I wasn't hip or something. Like <laughs> it was for me, you know? And uh it's funny because she had jello and I don't know, always like leftover stuff that she had cooked. Maybe she made some barbecue chicken the night before or something like that. It didn't matter. Whatever we at grandma's house, you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. You know what I'm saying? It was like it was the best place to be because it was no rules, you know. And we would still say it was a safe place for us to just take over the house 
and not be a burden to anybody. I think that's what it was. It was like me and my brother, we didn't have to be in each other's way. I don't know what he remembers from our grandmother's house, but I just remember we weren't a burden. You know, your parents be tired from work and everything else. And they love you. Don't get me wrong. I love my parents and they was like my best friends. But, you know, they're not going to be just so excited to see you all the time and just tolerate whatever the fuck you do, you know. But my grandmother, she just let us do whatever we wanted. If I wanted to jump all over the couch, I could do it. If I wanted to eat a Pop-Tart after I already had a donut, I could do it. You know what I'm saying? I could watch whatever cartoon I wanted and you wasn't coming in there to change the channel on me, you know? And uh, like I said, I used to watch my Pepper Ran and then right before it was time to walk out the door, Franklin would come on. It was a show on Nick Jr. about a little turtle or some shit. <laughs> and uh, that was my shit. Hey, it's Franklin. Anyway, uh, but I always had to go. I never got to watch Franklin uh, unless I was staying home from school. But I knew when Franklin was coming on, it was like, all right, it's pushing close. It's time to go to school. So me and my brother would walk to school. And um, it was probably about like, what, a good three blocks. Um, and that was our thing. You know, we would go to school, do our thing. This is when I was in like, kindergarten through second grade. I went to Highsville Elementary and um, we would come home from school and be at my grandmother's house. And that was cool too, because my cousin Rashid went to private school at St. Jerome's, which I ended up going to later. I talked about that in episode one. Um, and you know, it, it would be so cool because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes after school, Rasheed would be there and he would come and it would be like, yo, like, what's up? Like, I was excited. We went to two different schools. We always lived right up the street from each other, but it felt like we never got to see each other. I don't know what the fuck that was about as a kid. We only got to see each other like on random weekends and stuff like that. But if they would ever be like, you want to go see your cousin Rasheed? I was like, yeah, I was excited. But if me and Rasheed got together in my grandmother's house, oh, it was a wrap. It was a party. It was, it's a party. It's a party. It's a party. Like, <laughs> we was wilding. We could, we was playing Game Boys all day, cracking all types of inside jokes, make a mess. We make a fortress. We could just do whatever the hell we wanted. It was just so fucking fun. And, and we, and it, it seemed like we never had to clean up. I don't know what it I know we, we must have had to clean up before we left. But the process just didn't seem that bad because my grandmother didn't care about us making the mess in the process of making the mess. And I don't know, it's something about the patience that you must have, because I thought of my grandmother as being the nicest person in the fucking world. She was just so nice. I, I don't think she ever raised her voice at me. I don't think she ever cursed at me. I don't think she ever did anything but support me and love me on any capacity, you know? And it's funny because as you become an adult and you get older, like I remember everybody talking about how my grandmother was a pistol. She was tough. She didn't take no shit. She'd fight you in a second, cuss you out, you know? Uh, and I think she had one or, one or two of those moments with everybody, except for me. 
and and my cousin Rashid, I mean, he 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 recollects one time coming home from school off the super late because he was hanging with a girlfriend or something like that, and he really got it. And he, even he was surprised, like, oh shit, like grandma's mad, like what the fuck, like what is that? But you know, everybody else has these moments that they remember. And I I just don't remember ever having that. My grandmother was like the best time you know she was a real estate agent and uh i specifically remember she would take me with her when she would go to the the remax office and stuff and the remax office is so boring i didn't care nothing about that she always had to go and get like a fax or a print or something like that but the real party the real party was when we was going to look at these houses man i was like i i just knew i was going to be a real estate agent when i grew up Cause I mean, these houses was bad. It was luxury, you know. That's the tourist in me for real. Like I, I love luxury. I guess. And my grandmother would be showing. Yeah, I want to go check out a house. And I would walk with her and look all around and see the different rooms. Like this would be my room, and I want a pool in the back and all this other type of stuff. And it was just a big adventure, you know. That's what I feel. I feel like everything with my grandmother was a big adventure. And um. I don't know. She moved a lot. I remember her moving a lot. And uh, I guess because she was a real estate agent. And I wonder how much now as an adult, how much that had to do with money issues. I, I, it never seemed like she ever had a money issue. It seemed like she was always well to do. Uh, and my grandmother was a Taurus as well. You know, so my grandmother's a Taurus. My aunt is a Taurus. My mother's a Taurus. My father's a Taurus. Matter of fact, my mother and this grandmother in particular had the exact same birthday. And um, I don't know, man. It's just it. It was interesting how her moving from place to place to place to place always was like something that was exciting to me. And um, as she started to get older in age. Because, you know, it felt like home. It felt like home. But as she started to get older in age, it was harder to keep things organized and clean and everything else like that. And it didn't necessarily have the same feel. But it always felt like home because she was there, you know. And uh, I don't even know if I could tell you the conversations we had. That's something that I'm kind of drawing a blank on. And I really wish I remembered. I really wish I remember, man, but I, I was so young. I just remember having fun, like doing activities, you know. It really stood out to me. It was it was special. And um, that was that was my person. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember uh, people be like, is that your grandma? Your grandmother's white? And I'm like, no, my grandmother's not white. You know, She's black. She just looks white. Like, don't don't play with her like that. Because like I said, you come from DMV area, is very pro-black. My grandmother was super proud to be black. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't living in that passing shit that she could have if she wanted to. You know what I'm saying? She was a proud black woman, lived through the 60s, civil rights and all that. You know what I'm saying? Raised a beautiful black family. So, I don't know, man. I just, I just... I remember having so much fun with my grandmother and, and, and feeling so much pride to go over to her house, no matter where it was, whether she was living in Highsville or, you know, as we got older, she had moved to Lanham 
That's the we was using a fake address to go to high school and middle school and even that first house that she had, man, it just felt it just felt like that shit. And I think maybe I liked it so much because that was usually the meeting place for me and my cousin Rashid, you know. I knew his phone number by heart, house phone, call that junk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I said, can I speak to Rasheed? Nigga get on the phone, like, what's up? And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> and I was like, you going to grandma's? I ask if you can go to grandma's. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rambling. About 20 minutes in and I'm talking about my grandma's house, but it was special to me. You know, I felt seen in my house. I was the youngest, you know, like I say, my oldest brother is 11 years old and my middle brother, even though he's only three years and you would think we should be best friends. It was like this sibling rivalry. And I'm, I'm a sensitive ass nigga, man. You know, my feelings was hurt early. It was a, it was a real thing. Like I remember growing up, it felt like. My brother was my best friend. And then somewhere, we just hit a wall. It was like he got too old to hang out with the little kid anymore or something, you know? I, I remember he used to hang out with his friends and I'm like, I wanna go. He used to get mad that I was tagging along because I, I was like a little kid. And I was like, yo, the fuck, like, what you mean tagging along, nigga? Like, what can you do that I can't? We the same age in my in my book. <laughs> but I remember my feelings was so hurt and I never really said anything about it. I probably talked to my parents about it. You know, like, Rob doesn't want to hang out with me anymore. They told me, you know, he has his own friends. That's his age. And you have to have your own friends. That's your age. You know, you can't cramp his style. Like, you know, he's getting older. I remember, like, thinking to myself, like, damn. That's fucked up. <laughs> and I think that was kind of the the start of our sibling rivalry. Um, one that doesn't really exist anymore. We grown ass adults, but it was rough, man. It was rough growing up, having a rivalry. I always wanted me and my brother to be closer. And he tries now as an adult, but I think it's the trauma of, you know, making my life a living hell. I mean, like, telling on me on certain little shit that didn't need to be told on or vice versa or fighting all the time over little dumb shit or just trying to one up each other. It just, it wasn't supposed to be like that. You know, I remember specifically my parents telling us like, you know, you, you all you got, you know, your brothers, like at the end of the day, we not going to be here. Y'all got to take care of each other. But as kids, it felt much more like, fuck you than I love you. You know, we keeping it a stack. I'm just glad that as we got older, we got cooler. Um, that's just a little side note, man. I think it was just because he didn't allow me to hang out with him no more. I was like, I'm gonna go find my own friends. And I, I knew who my best friend was. That was Rashid Mahadi. That was my cousin, man. <laughs> he was one year older than me. We just had the same sense of humor, the same interests, the same you know, he's a Capricorn, I'm a I'm a, a, a Taurus, so we was already like little best friends anyway. But 
My grandmother's house was the meeting spot, you know. It went down in my grandmother's house. That's where we could have all of our inside jokes and talk about the video games we were playing and all of those kind of things, you know. And that was real special. Then there was my grandmother on the other side of the family. Uh, her name was Blanche. And uh, she was a minister. She was the most inspirational person I know. She was the matriarch, you know. She was the, the, the bone of the family. She was Jesus in my eyes, you know. She taught us about Jesus, taught us about spirituality, taught us about love, true love. I'm talking about like the warmest hugs, the warmest hug. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. I don't know why I, this always happens. When I talk about my grandmother, it's fucked up because I don't have a lot of memories of her. She died of cancer. I saw a lot of death growing up. You know, my great grandfather, my great grandmother, my grandmother, uh, uncles and aunts and great aunts and shit. But it was something about my grandmother, man. She, she died, it was different. Because even if I didn't get enough opportunities to really talk to her about real shit, because I wasn't old enough to comprehend, it was just what she represented. She was everybody's sense of inspiration, you know? Wasn't shit rocking with her, like, if you knew you was on some bullshit, you couldn't look her in the eye. It was the complete polar opposite of my other grandmother. We called them <laughs> Grandma 1 and Grandma 2. It's kind of fucked up when you think about it. <laughs> and you know, that number system didn't have anything to do with preference. Because if we're being honest about it for, you know, what we thought as kids, just based off of fun... My other grandmother, who we had all the fun at, probably would have been Grandma 1. But it wasn't that way. She was Grandma 2. Grandma 1 was my mother's mother, the matriarch, the, the spiritual one, the one who had a sense of stability and responsibility. And like I said, this doesn't take away from my other side of the family in any capacity whatsoever. But, you know... I think that's where I first learned love that was with that grandmother, my grandma Allen, you know, is what I should have been calling her grandma Allen and grandma Bailey. But um, I just remember the warmest, tightest hugs. I remember she would pray over us. I remember she had the most calm voice, like the most. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting emotional again. It's weird. I, I hate. This is a side note. I never cry. I don't cry often. It's it's like I hit a block somewhere in the road. Being a black man. You, you're not taught to cry. Sometimes, you know, when I talk about shit like this, it's the only time shit like that. Because I don't cry over now. I don't. Haven't cried over breakups. Haven't cried over. I, I broke both my damn arms. I didn't cry, you know, for real, for real. Like, 
when I talk about my grandmother, I get choked up because I want to remember her. I want to remember the things that we shared, the moments that we shared, and I can't, but I, but I know how much they impacted me. You know, I know how valuable her presence was in my development as a child, you know. They would watch me during the day before I started going to school. So like I said, my other grandmother was there more present when I was going to school because I would go to her house before school and after school. But my mother's mother, they used to watch me during the day because before I started preschool or anything like that, you know, um, someone had to watch me. Both of my brothers was in school and my parents had to work and I would be there all day with her and my grandfather. And, you know, I, I remember it was just such a slow pace. In hindsight, I probably thought it was boring as a kid. I don't know. But I remember taking naps. I always had to take a nap because <laughs> I was a kid. But when I would take a nap, it was on this couch that had the plastic on it. Everybody got a grandparent that got that couch with the plastic on it. You know what I'm saying? She damn sure had that plastic on the couches. <laughs> and it was a black floral patterned couch. Actually, it was hideous as hell that I think about it. <laughs> Modern day, you know, but they, that was something about that generation. You know, the people who was born in the 19, what, 10s, 20s, 30s, whatever. Uh, they love stuff like that. And they, they had plastic on the couch. And you wake up from your nap. And your face is sticking to the plastic because the sheet done moved. <laughs> but, um, you know, I used to watch shows like The Puzzle Place. And I remember I used to watch Barney. Barney was my shit. And uh, I guess because I had two brothers and, you know, this is probably the basis of inherent. Uh, what? Homophobia and shit like that. It's toxic as hell toxic masculinity be taught being taught to you early you know um but i remember when the barney song i love you you love me we're a great big family you know like <laughs> i would literally like shut down it was something about that joy and happiness that came from barney singing that song I wouldn't allow myself to tap into. It was like, I'm not listening to that. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because outside of those things, right? I remember doing that. I remember like coloring or just random things, you know, really they're like old people to shit, like Jeopardy and uh, Wheel of Fortune. I remember me and my grandfather used to watch Wheel of Fortune all the damn time. That was my shit. I loved Wheel of Fortune. Uh, oh, not Wheel of Fortune. I'm sorry. It was The Price is Right. That was what Price is Right used to come on midday. Um, and I used to watch that show with my grandfather every day. And uh, <laughs> it was interesting. I, I knew when The Price is Right came on or like Wheel of Fortune and shit like that. Like, I can hear the sounds of the Wheel of Fortune in The Price is Right. And I knew it was going to be close to time to go home soon. Like my parents was going to show up. Time didn't work 
with numbers and clocks. It worked with shows and sounds. So I would hear stuff like and that meant it was about three o'clock because, you know, Price is Right is on. And I would hear shit like and that would be shit like Jeopardy, you know, or I would hear and that was Wheel of Fortune. And I knew if Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy was on and it was getting dark outside and I still wasn't picked up yet. Oh, I had a bone to pick. I was like, where the fuck is my parents at? Who the hell do you think you are leaving me here in this home with my grandparents all day? And don't get me wrong, it was safe. It was fun, but it was boring. <laughs> used to play pickup sticks. I my grandfather had pickup sticks and stuff, and I used to have to like, I would drop all the things out and try to pick one up without moving another one. I would observe the marbles that were there. And I remember there was so many plants. There were so many plants in the house and these little praying hands. And it's funny because it probably sounds like a real drag talking about it now. Like, oh, it was so boring. But when I tell you, I, I never felt more safe than being at my grandparents' house with my grandmother and my grandfather. It was different, man. Kennedy Street, I, I felt close to God all the time. Kennedy Street, Northeast. I just felt close to God. I felt close to everything, you know? I don't, for some reason, I don't think of my, my grandfather also lived in Riggs Park at the time on Onita Street. And um, it felt like we were going, I, I know we used to go see my grandfather probably every week, just checking in. And it's funny because when uh, we would go to his house, which is basically damn near walking distance from my other grandmother and grandfather's house, right? Um, I would walk in the house and it's funny because my father and my uncle and all them, they didn't call their father daddy. They called him Box. That was his nickname, Box. <laughs> So I would have this little voice and it's so I, everybody got a kick out of it. I don't know why we walk into his house and we walk in and I was so used to hearing my, my father say box, let him know he was in the house, you know? So I started doing it. I would come in with my high little pitch voice and I would go box. <laughs> you know, but all my grandparents was old as hell from the time I first met them. I don't know. I guess that's what grandparents are supposed to be. Old as hell from the time you meet them. But I remember my grandfather. It was weird. It was like we had a little connection, but we didn't talk too much. It was he was a man's man. You know, he was in the Navy. Uh, he was the only person I know. He had a tattoo. He had a, like a mermaid tattoo or something like that on his arm. And I remember like, yo, my grandfather has a tattoo. It's crazy. But um, I remember his little square glasses and uh, he was always upstairs. And anytime we came in the house, he was always in his room just chilling. It's like he didn't use the rest of the house for anything. He definitely didn't use the basement. I mean, I'm sure that was just there from when my, my father and his brother and two sisters lived there. And the kitchen he would go to to make some food, but the living room you know the table just had mail on it and all types of shit and 
remember we would always go find a box of tic-tac-toe and it's weird it's like me and my brother would stay downstairs when we went to my grandfather's house we'd stay downstairs and we'd play tic-tac-toe or just chill and do nothing look through magazines and stuff you know um and my father would go upstairs and sit up there and talk with his dad for a long time and never know what they were talking about i just knew that you know that was his dad and they had a connection you know and uh one day i'm gonna talk i'm gonna, it's funny i'm i'm doing a project where i'm gonna talk to both of my parents about their life story um you know just in detail tell me everything you remember from your life and that's one thing I want to ask my father about. I want to ask him, what was your relationship like with granddaddy, you know? Because he always seemed like such a mystery to me. I knew he's a good dude. I knew that my grandfather was a Leo, you know? <laughs> uh, but I knew not to go into his fridge. I remember one time I had went into his freezer and there was like some pie. And uh, we weren't supposed to go into the fridge for any reason, I guess. And I went, we was visiting. I, when we went just to go see my grandfather's house, it was in and out. We wouldn't even take off our coats for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I would walk in that junk and I, remember I opened up the freezer one time and I saw some pie. And I went upstairs and I said, Granddaddy, do you happen to have some pie? <laughs> like as if it was just a random thought. I thought I was slick as a kid. I don't know what it was. That's funny because every little tourist baby that I know now, I, I get it. You know, my best friend Deja's baby's the same way. My niece Cesaria is the same way. Like they'll come up and talk to you about something. Like they 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 trying to manipulate you. They trying to be a trickster. You know, like no, I I, I didn't go in your fridge. I just randomly had a hankering for pie, <laughs> and he was just like, you know, you could have some. If you didn't go in the fridge and it's like, now I'm going to ask you again, did you go in the fridge? And I'm like, yes. But, you know, he still let me have some pie. The biggest thing I remember from his house was that it felt like time travel, you know, going into the basement. And I remember seeing uh, old TVs with turn knobs and, you know, big ass antennas and. The furniture looked like the 70s, you know, and <laughs> it had a 70s ass smell and feel. And I, I will go into the backyard sometimes and me and my brother would just tackle each other around with no football, play with an invisible football. And it was an alley back there. And I would. I just remember thinking to myself, like, damn, like. This is where my 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 my, my father grew up and played and. It's something about it, too. It looked a little more, even though it was the same Riggs Park, you know, it looked a little more rough and rugged than where my mother grew up you know, on Kennedy Street. So it was almost like it, it was on brand with the fact that my father's side seemed more tough and my mother's side seemed more spiritual and serene. You know, my grandfather's house didn't have no gate, a little regular gate. Walk up in and out of the back of that joint. You could squeeze through the side if you wanted. My grandfather on my mother's side, you know, my, my grandfather and grandmother's house had a, a like a privacy gate kind of thing that protected the car. And you put the little thing down to make sure nobody could come through your back car. It's like there was like visual representations of safety. 
that were present, you know? And um, I don't know, it's like all of these things, I think about the impact that my grandparents had on my parents, you know? I know that my grandfather and my father must have been tight-knit to some degree because he was always going to see him. No, I don't know what they used to talk about. I just know that he would go and see him. He would go see my grandfather at least probably two, three times a week, just in passing, you know, always stop in. And um, I think about my my grandparents on my mother's side. And, you know, like I said, I would see my grandmother almost every day, like all the time. It, was, it wasn't a week where I wouldn't see my, my grandmother on my father's side. And then on my mother's side, you know, it was like they were everybody's hero. It was like they were the the best people you could think of. Like I I, I can't remember anybody ever saying anything negative about them. Like I I feel like they didn't even make mistakes. And living up to that kind of pressure is hard because we're all human, you know, and we make mistakes. And when it feels like your grandparents make none, I, I just I, I know what that pressure must be like for people like my mother who you know she speaks the world of her parents until this day you know I mean, it's been years since they've died and sometimes she'll just be like I miss my mommy you know I miss my daddy my daddy was a great man and you know my mother was my best friend and I'm starting to get emotional because it's reminding me that one day my parents are going to die, you know? We're all going to die one day, you know? And um, I don't know if my parents know how much they mean to me. Um, I'm kind of the leader of my family, even though I'm the youngest. And uh, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a product of, of the love that I've been afforded in my family. And it's wild because, you know, my, my parents, you know, they separated and everything. And it never really phased nothing, you know, they, they perfect co-parents, you know. They separated when I was in high school. So most of my life, they were together. But they they never had anything really negative to say about each other. They, they, never, they never spoke down on each other to us like some parents do. You know, some parents would be like, well, look, just like your father, your mother, you know how your mother is and all types of shit. They never, you know. I remember my father more so asking, like, you know, how's your mother doing? Rather than, you know, ever talking down on her. And my mother making sure that we went to go and visit my father when he did leave. And, you know, my parents really were like my best friends growing up. Outside of, you know, my my ad, ad <laughs> my admiration for my cousin Rashid and, and the love that I shared for my brothers in, in some capacity. But, you know, I always wanted to be around my parents. 
I always wanted it. It was an even split. There was no favorite. Both of them was my favorite. Uh, my mother was doing something. I want to do it. I want to come. I want to, you know, I used to eat crabs with my mother. <laughs> I was young as hell, probably about five or six years old. And I'd be eating crabs. And, you know, in Maryland, that's a, a, a thing. Like, you got to be an adult to sit at the adult table and cracking crabs. Crabs is expensive. You're not about to waste that money. But I knew how to do it because my mother taught me. And it used to trip people out. You know what I'm saying? My little ass sitting up there cracking crabs, throwing down, eating as many as anybody else. They're like, hey, your little ass need to slow down. You ain't putting nothing up on this, you know? <laughs> but that was the thing. My mother was my crab partner. So because the other adults wouldn't necessarily let me eat with them, my mother would get crabs sometimes. And me and her and my brother and Ma, we would sit and that was our bonding thing. We would sit and eat crabs together. And, um, you know, that was special to me. It made me feel seen. I remember after football practices and stuff like that, I would come in the house and I would watch American Idol with my mother. That was our bonding time. We would watch American Idol and we would watch movies together. That was a thing. Honestly, my mother is most likely the reason I'm a, a filmmaker today because she had every fucking DVD you could imagine. Point blank. Every DVD you could imagine. She had it. Every black DVD. Every, you know, if I look around my crib right now, I got Brown Sugar right in front of me and Love Jones and Higher Learnings around the corner and Boys in the Hood and all this other type of stuff, you know. And, you know, by the time I had about 10 or 11, my parents started letting me kind of watch whatever I wanted, you know. I watch it with them for the most part, but I had seen all the black classics, you know? I felt pride in them. I used to love watching shit like Last Holiday with my mother. And uh, I used to love watching things like, um, I don't know, like Bringing Down the House or random just silly movies, you know what I'm saying? Breaking all the rules, like... <laughs> And then we had our classics like Warriors, you know, we sit there together and Warriors come out and play. And it was a thing, you know, and those same DVDs ended up being the DVDs that I would watch for the behind the scenes and the making ofs by myself later on. And those are the things that inspired me to, you know, just be curious about how films are made. And that's how I got into TV productions. But it was from that bonding that I used to do with my mother, you know, like that was our time because, you know, my father and I, what we did, we, we, we went out together. My mother and I, we didn't really go out. We did things in the house, you know, but we had the best time listening to music and watch movies and eat. And she would cook and I would try to help her and we would garden, you know, and all different types of things. It was just like I spent so much quality time with my mother. That was my best friend. I was a mama's boy for sure. But I was also a daddy's boy, you know. I, we we used to me and my father. He was always on a mission. My father's the most social butterfly ass nigga in the world. He just knew everybody. I, I remember going anywhere and people were like Bobby, Bobby Bailey, and I was like, Oh, what's up, doctor? <laughs> That's how he used to talk. What's up, doctor? Uh, what's up, champ? You know. 
He'd sit there and he just knew, hey man, this is my son Dante. Dante, this is Mr. So-and-so. Yeah, we went to college together. Oh yeah, we went to high school together. Hey, we grew up together right over there. Remember Miss So-and-so? Yeah, this is, and they'd be like, I don't, I don't know who none of these people are, daddy, but cool, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I always wanted to go. I remember me and my father's bonding time was car rides, you know? My father drove for Sprint. So he was always in the car. Um, and when I say drove for Sprint, I mean like there was a time when before technology uh, afforded the <laughs> convenience of just being widespread, you know, there was technicians who used to have to drive around and check the signals on the cell phone towers. And uh, it's almost kind of like doing the, you hear me? Can you hear me now? Good. Like from Verizon type shit, except for, for Sprint, you know, that was his job. So my father could pull up anywhere at any time because he was in a car. He, was, he had some downtime. Drive up, pull up, come see you at school, whatever. It was, but I don't know. I used to ride with him everywhere. He'd be like, oh, I'm going over here real quick. I'm like, can I come? He'd be like, sure, get in. He used to let me sit in the front seat. You know, I was too small. And I don't know. My father was just a big goofball. <laughs> he would talk about everything. I don't know. He had the most real conversations. You know, my mother would, instill confidence in me and and we would have our own little silly jokes but it was really I felt like a kid with my mother like I loved the fact that I was her little Dante I was her little best friend her little confidant you know but with my father I felt like a man I felt like a grown-up you know he, he used to prepare me for what life had to come it was always a lesson I learned so many lessons from my dad man like I don't know. I, I I really. He used to teach me the most moral shit. Everything that makes me a good motherfucker today, that people be like, man, you just a real nigga, man. You just deep. You, you know, whatever. Like, it's conversations I've shared with my father on different things, and he would allow me to challenge him. You know, he would allow me to ask questions and debate and question certain things and have my own opinion and, you know formulate a stance on something and stand by it and stand on my stance, you know? And he argued me down and stuff like that. So it almost got a little bit frustrating. I'm sure it was hard because he's a Taurus and I'm a Taurus. So I was probably giving him some hell, you know? He probably had to deal with himself. <laughs> Never thought he would, but you know, both my parents, they're probably stubborn as hell, right? To deal with themselves, you know? Like they say you do when you have kids, whatever hell you gave your parents, you're going to have to get back. But I, I would debate anything, you know, I was stubborn as hell. He would try to make me eat Brussels sprouts or something like that. And I knew I was going to throw them up and I just hated Brussels sprouts. You know, we'll sit here at this table all night. And I'm like, okay. And I would sit my ass up for four hours, falling asleep at the table, not eating my Brussels sprouts because he was stubborn. I was stubborn. Only difference was I had more time. So... <laughs> Eventually, he would put that plate away, put it in the fridge. Like, you gonna eat it tomorrow? And you know, I wasn't eating them damn leftover Brussels sprouts, but he'd tell me go to bed because he knew I had school in the morning. <laughs> I was ridiculous, man, but I don't know. It was just so much good stuff. I remember specifically, there was a time my father took me out to uh, the Gold Coast out in, uh, I don't know if that's Northwest or Southwest or whatever, but the Gold Coast is an area in DC where 
It was so many well-to-do blacks. It was like rich people and the houses were just beautiful. And it was like, it felt like a big circle, you know, and it was these back roads I had never seen before. It was somewhere around Christmas time too. So they had up all the lights and everything. And it was just like, damn, this is beautiful, man. Like I need me something like this growing up, you know, told me stories about like how he went to a party in one of these houses in the Gold Coast and they had a, a hot tub in the living room, which I was like, God damn, it's balling. And um, then he took me to Anacostia. And Anacostia is the hood hood. And it's funny because in hindsight now, it's probably highly irresponsible what he did, but it was a valuable lesson. I remember right after driving through the Gold Coast, he took me to Anacostia and we pulled up into an alley and there was some niggas out there standing, probably selling drugs or whatever. And he got to the end of the alley and he turned off the lights. And them dudes looked down the alley, looked left, looked right, and they all just kind of walked off. And my father was like, you know what they doing? And I was like, I don't know. He was like, they're selling drugs. Something they not supposed to do, something bad, something wrong, you know? And I was like, so why are they walking away? And he just kind of explained to me however you explain to a kid that, you know, they don't know who we are or what we're going to do. And I'm thinking to myself, well, we're not going to do anything, you know. And he took that moment to teach me that, you know, they getting money then people on the Gold Coast is getting money. The difference is what is it worth? You know, like them folks here got to look over their shoulder the rest of their life. You don't want to live like that. You know, but if you make the wrong choices and do the wrong things, that's exactly how you'll have to live, you know. And um, it was so many things like that, you know, I mean, between us playing football and he was always one of my coaches or my brother's coach or something. He just made a contribution. You know, my father was always willing to he would take everybody home any of my friends or my brother's friends who needed a ride or something like that, i'll take them i'll get them home don't worry about it you know he just the most generous person um i think that's where i learned my generosity from i'm always just trying to help somebody and i literally give my last you know um when i really shouldn't sometimes but you know once again one of those lessons my father taught me like if you got a dollar and it's not going to hurt you none and it's a homeless person out there asking for a dollar, man, just give it to them, you know, because they need it more than you. Whether they smoke it or actually use it for food, if they use it for food, great, then they ate that night. If they smoke it, look, man, they going through some shit you probably can't even imagine. They feel like they need it. They might not be right, but who are you to judge? And more important, if they give that money to a drug dealer, you don't never know why that drug dealer is selling drugs. Maybe they got a kid who needs school clothes that that money cycling somehow to somewhere in the community in a way that is going to benefit them more than it'll benefit you. That one dollar that you wasn't thinking about that you was going to spend on something dumb, you know, and I've always had this kind of charitable mentality. And I think that really stems from my father and, and my mother, too. You know, because my mother helped everybody, everybody, so much so that she really did give her last most times, you know. I mean, you're not going to be homeless with my mother at all. She'll take anybody in, which I wish she wouldn't sometimes. But 
she does and she did you know she would always get my my friends home too in the 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 situations where she was the person to pick me up and it's funny because everybody always felt like with both of my parents this is a trait that was common about both of my parents everybody always felt like they could talk to my parents about anything that they couldn't talk to their own parents about which i never understood you know because other niggas parents was cool to me but i guess it's different when it's your parents you know but they would talk to my parents about shit that you know you would talk to my father when you needed some real nigga advice <laughs> you needed somebody who was going to tell you the real and and and, and make a grown-ass man decision you talk to my dad you wanted to talk to somebody who was cool who wasn't going to judge you and you could be complete keep it super funky you know because you wasn't going to tell my dad the full truth you was going to tell my dad the general kind of like you know this is what i'm going through this and that but with my mother it's like people would just open up they would tell her the full ugly truth and they always knew she had a lesson for them they had she had something to offer them that was going to pour into their spirit and their soul and there was god attached to that and it's funny because the podcast is working right now I said this is a, a form of self-therapy where I dig deep into my own memory bank and try to promote some form of self-healing. And I just recognize the cycle just in this moment, talking it out. You know, my mother, though she may not recognize it, has become my grandmother, the matriarch, the person who people go to for love in, in, in that feeling of warmth. And I, I know she doesn't see it as that, but it's real. It's real, you know, and I, I really wish she would see it like that sometimes. And my father, you know, <laughs> I know more about my grandfather from stories than from in person. And it seems like my grandfather was just an exciting, vibrant ass person as a whole. And that's exactly who my father is. Dresses nice, has luxurious things and all this other type of shit. And my, my father always aspired to be that. And I think in some ways my father aspired to be his father. And I don't know if he ever recognized that he never had to be anybody but himself. Because who he was was good enough for me and my friends. And, you know, he wasn't perfect. He's made mistakes, you know. He doesn't have the best relationship with my oldest brother. Um, you know, there's a disconnect there for reasons that I won't share, you know, but they're understood and there's no real beef, but it's just not a, a same kind of closeness. And, you know, he's made mistakes with my mother too. I never forget there was a time my parents were arguing and uh, I, th I guess they had just kind of separated like officially and my father wasn't living in the house, but he would come and pick me up, take me to school every morning, even though he didn't live there. Uh, he was staying with his mother at the time, my grandmother. And uh, I remember he would come and he would still be 
making payments on the bills because, you know, obviously uh, I still live there and I wasn't 18 yet. And, you know, he was making sure that he was making his contributions to the bills. But my mother had changed the locks. And that didn't sit well with my father because it's like I'm paying bills on a house that I don't have a key to. Which, you know, as an adult now, it makes a lot of sense to some extent. And I don't I don't know. I don't know the politics between that. I don't know how I feel about it. I just know that it turned into an argument. And he asked my mother for a key. And my mother was never the person to really speak up for herself. And uh, but she wouldn't say yes. It was like he couldn't have a key. And I remember him ripping up a check right in front of her. And that was just the end of him making that contribution. And I remember them having arguments and when he would come and pick me up for school sometimes and they would get into these debates. And it was one time ever, one time they was arguing all the way out to the front. They never used to make a scene. It was never a thing. Not for real. For, I'm lying. They did used to argue a lot, but. They would never make a scene like outside of the house that would like embarrass the family and shit like that. But this one day, the only time I could ever remember, they were arguing and it got out onto the front porch and something happened. And I guess a threat was made or something like that. And my mother said something to him that was like, a I don't know if it was a low blow or what. And. He had said something like, you know, I'll push you right off that porch or something like that. It wasn't no banister on the porch or something like that. And she was like, I wish you would. And he was walking past her and brushed past her to the point where my mother stumbled. She didn't fall. But if she would have fell, she would have fell over that banister into the garden and bust her ass. And both of my parents is job big. So it would have been detrimental. But I couldn't believe I witnessed my father do that. And I was like, what the fuck? Like to the point where I was mad, I was heated, I was hot. You know what I'm saying? Because all growing up, my father instilled in us heavy, all three of us. Like, you don't never put your hands on a woman, ever, for any circumstances whatsoever. Matter of fact, if you see another man put his hands on a woman in front of you, you better step the fuck up and, and, and stand up for that woman ASAP. So this was the first time I ever saw my father as anything less than perfect. I just remember how that felt like, damn. Like my father, he didn't hit my mother. He didn't even really aggressively push my mother, but just that small brush that you knew could have caused my mother harm potentially was enough for me to look at him a little different and I was fucked up off of the joint, I'm not even gonna lie. Cause you know, I, I had seen my brother, both of my brothers, you know, fight my father before, like physically fight. And, um, and you know, not often, it was just, you know, a one time kind of occasion, it was always a big thing and it was a big dynamic shift cause it was one of those test your manhood kind of moments. Like, you know, my. My father did the whole, you know, you a man, like you gonna have to prove it. And my father would be losing him jokes, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh my God. 
I can't put this shit out. My family gonna be so mad if they ever hear this shit. But it's the truth, man. It's the truth. Like, my father wasn't perfect. But my father was so real. Because one thing that he always did, I don't know if he ever took accountability with other people. But I know with me, I, I wouldn't let him slide ever. I never let my father slide. And he always took accountability. You know, so with my mother, when that situation happened, we was in the car. He could tell I was upset. He was quiet and he pulled over on the side of the road. and We just talked. He was like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, First, he said, I'm sorry that you had to see that. And then he caught himself when I gave him that look and he said, actually, I'm sorry that that even happened. You know, I, I was tripping and. I've always, you know, he told me straight, I've always told you guys never put your hands on a woman and I was a hypocrite this morning and, you know, uh, maybe you'll understand when you're older, but, you know, everything doesn't always work out so smoothly in relationships and some things can just drive you to a point that you make mistakes and some mistakes are more critical than others. But he apologized to me for, for that happening and, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he tried to apologize to my mother, but my mother wasn't rocking. She she wasn't having that shit. So I don't know if that apology ever went through. Which it doesn't matter at the end of the day. They wasn't supposed to be together in the first fucking place, probably. I don't know enough about their relationship to know. I just know where I went down the line. And um I I I always gave him credit though for being a man and never asking more of us than he would ask of himself. And I'm sure my brothers would disagree because they have different experiences with my father. And sometimes I feel guilty about that because I know that, you know, There's probably a lot of truth to that. There's probably a lot of truth to some hypocrisy. But I think it's important to remember that nobody's perfect. Nobody. My brother's damn sure not perfect. Neither of them. But they, they have all of their positives. And I view them for all of their positives rather than their negatives. And I try to encourage everybody to view them and my parents and me for all of their positives rather than their negatives. Because the positives heavily, heavily outweigh the negatives of anything that you could say about anybody that comes from this motherfucking family. You know, we are a great fucking family. And sometimes because we're all disconnected and shit, it feels like as if we lost our way. Or, you know, we've failed somehow because we're not so tight knit like how a family is supposed to be. And that shit don't mean shit, man. Like, there's so many fucked up families out here that I done met over the years between different friends and shit. People who, you know, family who literally trying to kill each other, man. And we, we really got love no matter how distant we are. And that shit stems from my grandparents. That shit stems from the legacy that is my grandparents and the love that they instilled early on, 
you know? And unfortunately, as grandparents start to die and, you know, we don't have those same kind of family functions that are based off of those meeting spaces where everybody meets up to, to unify. The dynamics change a little bit, but that don't change the root. The root is the love. And now we creating something brand new. You know what I'm saying? And I know I sound a little passionate right now, but I, I am. I am passionate about it. I don't know what y'all families is like, but I'm sure you can relate to some of these family dynamics that I'm talking about. Don't let that shit define. Don't let the idea of someone having to be perfect define the way that you view them or your outlook on the way that they've made decisions. Unless they do something completely unforgivable. I'm talking about sexual assault. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about fucking, you know, real like, you know, thieving all of the family's inheritance. I'm talking about you know, complete disregard for your self-esteem and just completely bashing you and like real traumatic, like real abuse type shit. If it's not none of that going on, come on, man. We can't hold them grudges. We have to look at people for the best of what they have. And I, I can only speak from my experience because like I said, I know everybody else has different relationships to each other. And maybe in some ways, my brothers feel like those traumas that they've experienced from certain things with either of my parents was so traumatic that it's something that they can't come back from. But I've talked to every single one of them individually, and I know that's not true. I know it's not true. There's, there's a, a, a huge level of respect for my father, for my oldest brother, for the fact that he did something that a lot of men wouldn't do, and that's taking somebody else's child as they own. So it didn't matter if he was perfect as a father he did what he had to do and, and and there's a huge amount of animosity that existed at one point when my middle brother was in his rap career and he was really successful he was really successful and it never felt like he had that true support of my father you know but at the end of the day he loves him that he is him they share the same name and and I don't know, man. I, I just want to bring this shit back tight again. Because when I think about the ways that we got to where we are today. It wasn't perfect, but there was definitely love. We had so many moments, man, so many moments of laughter and joy and love between our grandparents, between our parents, between our aunts and uncles, our siblings, our cousins. We just got to get back to the root of that love. But it starts with letting go of some of the trauma that we experienced and being able to see the best in each other and not expecting us to all have to go all the way back and address the traumas that were uh, experienced. Because we know there's three sides to every story. There's your version, there's my version, and then there's the truth. The likelihood that we're going to be able to see eye to eye on the exact same way that this shit unfolded is so unlikely. So that healing has to be a personal journey. 
that healing has to be one that, you know, we choose to individually go to therapy for and do in our own way. And then we have to figure out how to cope with our family members or if we even want to cope and if it's worth coping and and, and, and trying to make things right again, you know? I personally think it's important to make things right again for the next generation and instill in that same love so that they get an opportunity to have the same experiences that I felt like I had growing up where I said, man, it was nothing but love. It was nothing but these moments that I get emotional about now. At my grandmother's house and my other grandmother's house and my grandfather's house and those memories, you know what I'm saying? Can't create those if we in all these different places. And I'm guilty too because I've been a, a nomad. I've been a traveler. And I've lived in New York and LA and everywhere else. But I promise you the goal is always to get back home. And to make sure that I, I can play a role in that next generation's experience. Because maybe it is too late for us. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But what I know is that it's worth the effort to preserve the experiences of another because children don't ask to be brought into this world you just do it and you deal with the circumstances but we got to create healthy environments and we owe it to ourselves to know that we're deserving of those healthy environments as well so i don't know i guess this episode is maybe a little dark it's about 15 minutes longer than the first one i don't think it's dark i think it's light it's nothing but love. There's so much love and joy I, I done really broke through in this shit. But if nothing else, man, like I said, it, I don't know if anybody listening to this shit cares about my personal stories and my personal experiences and, you know, what my family's experienced. I know my family probably don't like this shit if they ever hear it. They old school feel like you're airing out dirty laundry or speaking for them. Maybe they don't have a chance to speak for themselves, but... A reminder is that nobody cares. Nobody's really thinking about you and your family shit. It's just you and your family. And y'all got to tap in with each other and fix that shit. Because that nostalgia. It stems usually from a place of love. And you can't go back in the days. But you can fix that shit. And you can get to a slightly better place with each other it's important so I encourage anybody else out there who is going through their own wave of nostalgia to just tap in and, and really resonate with their experiences and manifest what you want you know what I'm saying live by those affirmations that things will get better that you'll be able to communicate that you can be patient that you can you know, uh, uh, welcome some healing into your experience. Just don't take that love for granted because everybody don't have a family. It's people out here, foster homes and everything else. They'll never know what that love feels like. Anyway, I'm going to catch y'all next time. It's back in the day.